What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rooted in Resilience podcast. Just a solo podcast between Sarah and myself, Ashley. And today we are going to be talking about SIRS, Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome. And Cece is about to get real. She didn't like that I said that. Yeah, so we wanted to do a podcast about this because SIRS is something that I've been dealing with, and I think that there's not as much widely available and readily understandable information out there about this, and I feel like a lot of people are actually dealing with it that might not know anything about this. So this podcast is going to be a combination of informational, but also my personal experience with SIRS so far. And so just to give a brief outline, we're going to talk about what is SIRS, what it looks like, so symptoms and indications that could possibly mean that you might have it, what typically triggers SIRS, who is at risk, what the testing looks like, what the treatment looks like, my experience so far, things that have helped me throughout, valuable resources and what's next, and then towards the end, we're going to answer the questions that we got on Instagram. So I put a poll on Instagram for anybody who had questions about SIRS, and we got some really great questions. So we will address those. And I'm, I have got a ton of notes up because I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. So I wanted to take detailed notes to be able to describe this SIRS in great detail um, and with valid information. So that's what that's what we've got going on today. Can I just say something yeah. real quick before we get started? So I like to kind of wrap my head around why certain things exist, why certain conditions have come about, you know? Um, so autoimmune for example, didn't exist a hundred years ago, you know? Yeah. So like that was clearly a big change. SIRS is kind of a newer condition. That's the research is relatively new. Is that correct? Yeah. Within the last two decades, I'd say. Within the last two decades, uh, SIRS is kind of being discovered and how I've kind of wrapped my head around like why this condition is just interjecting itself into society is we are being constantly bombarded by toxins and so I feel like there is just toxin overload that some people just can't climb out of. And I feel like this is kind of the result of that. Is, would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, I don't know. because there's Not to like, anyone's fault. There, Not yeah, to anyone's fault. To and so you have to wonder like what happened evolutionarily for this to happen. And I don't know enough about that to share about that. But if you're curious, that's... Well, the genetic component so. is a result of being... So your genetic expression how your genes are expressed are a result of your environmental influence. And so a toxic environment, it makes sense why this gene would be expressed for some people. Well, it makes sense why it is expressed, but I guess what I'm saying is that it, there would be an argument against it. Like how would humans survive if there's a gene that makes a human more susceptible to toxins? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense evolutionarily at all. Yeah, but I think there are certain genes that can be expressed in individuals that are protective in nature against other things, mm -hmm. but then that leaves a downfall um, for other aspects. Yes. So that's basically, I think, that the understanding here is that um, due to some exposure or something, maybe some sometime along humanity's past, uh, a different plague or issue, there was a shift or change in the genetic makeup and that's what led to SIRS. To be completely honest, you guys, we don't know enough about this part, so we're going to not claim that we know here. Combination of epigenetics <laughs> and just really crappy environments. Yeah. So with that said, I completely understand if somebody has a ton of skepticism towards something like this where it's like, I don't believe in diagnoses. I've said that myself. 
Um, you can heal anything with food and diet and lifestyle and exercise. I've said that myself. But I really had to come to terms with there are circumstances where you do need to treat things. You need medical intervention in order to fully get better. And it was hard to wrap my head around that. And I was actually first diagnosed with SIRS back in 2021. And I didn't do anything about it because I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't think it was necessary to take action with specific interventions to treat the SIRS. And so I just like kept doing my thing, kept detoxing, kept living my life. Um, but I wrapped, like circled back to it because I'll mention why in, in, in the future of this podcast, but I completely get it, right? Like it's, yeah, it's I, hard to wrap your brain I will say that there's a lot of more information coming out about it. So if you look up Jonathan Toes, Toes, he's a uh, NFL, not NFL, NHL, sorry, um, professional hockey player on the Chicago Blackhawks. So he has been diagnosed with SIRS and um, Michaela Peterson is now talking about it as well. Uh, amongst some others uh, so it is it is coming into the picture yeah it's been around for a while though yeah. so I took some polls on Instagram that I wanted to just approach first so I asked if people have heard of SIRS and 81% of our audience said no I've asked if you have dealt with mold toxicity 68% said no so 32% said yes they have dealt with what they know to be an exposure to mold I asked if somebody has moved somewhere new and then they got sick and 33% said, yes, this did happen to them. I asked if people deal with systemic inflammation and nothing helps, nothing fully gets them out of that inflammatory state. 44% of our audience said, yes, that's getting pretty significant. So as you can tell, the percent is just growing. And yes, as I keep asking these questions, I asked, do you have a mystery illness that no one can solve? 47% said, yes. I think that's very significant. And to me, I have a hunch that a lot of people's mystery illnesses stems from SIRS. So that's what we're going to talk about today in the podcast. Got anything to say? Let's get started. Okay. So I already gave you guys the outline. So first we're going to address what is SIRS. And SIRS is defined as a progressive multi-system, multi-symptom illness characterized by exposure to biotoxins. So the continuous inflammation can affect any and all organs. And if it's left untreated, it can go on to do debilitating damage. So there's a lot of illnesses that like MS, for example, that is very debilitating for people. And there is actually some good indication that some people's MS could stem back from SIRS. So definitely very interesting information to learn. Can I interject real quick? Yeah. If I were to give like a description that I would say to like a kindergartner, would this be accurate? So our bodies have a natural detoxification process inside of our body. It's very complex. There are a few stages. So someone with SIRS, SIRS, someone with SIRS has a genetic defect in this detoxification process where they are not able to detoxify biotoxins. And so as a result, the body stuffs those away, stuffs them into tissues, and those biotoxins just can cause inflammation just throughout the body. Is that kind of a I'd say that's pretty accurate. I think that they're beyond just being in tissues. They're continuously going into recirculation, causing inflammation pretty much in the entire body. Causes chaos. Chaos. So Dr. Richie Shoemaker has been the driving force behind SIRS research and developing a protocol, or some would say cure, for SIRS. So that's actually really good news. So Dr. Shoemaker is like the leading researcher in this. 
Yes, thank you, Ashley. Okay. The downstream, <laughs> the downstream effects of SIRS can be better understood by Dr. Shoemaker's pathway. So I'm going to go over the different stages of the pathway now, just to give a more technical picture of SIRS, and then we'll get into more of what you can do. So stage one is the biotoxin effects. The perfect storm for SIRS is one, a genetically susceptible individual, like we said, and two, exposure to a biotoxin. So you kind of need both of these things to occur for SIRS to, um, to occur. So- so wait, yeah. I think this would be a good place to explain your example of this. Sure. So, well, I'm going to get into that. Okay. It helps for me to learn people's experience as you're explaining something. Okay, okay, fine. I'm trying to like not... Okay, so... I'm trying to break up your presentation, okay? I understand. So my experience with this is that, well, yes, I have the genetic haplotype. So that makes me susceptible to SIRS. And then in fall of 2020, we moved into a farmhouse in Michigan. And I got pretty instantly within the same month we moved very sick. So everything that was going well reversed to going horribly for me. I basically become extremely estrogen dominant, which makes sense because mold and mycotoxins and biotoxins in the body can mimic estrogen. And I was gaining weight. I couldn't sleep. I had such bad insomnia. I had neuropathy on my feet. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was inflamed. I felt hopeless. It was basically a huge mystery illness. And it took the next over two, over two years at this point to, to figure it out. And it took over a year to kind of start to feel better. So I think environmental toxins are not talked about enough. I think they're actually a huge issue. And so that's why I really want to do the work to bring this more to people's awareness. And so- because like ancestrally our ancestors didn't deal with this level of toxins no we, they didn't live in like insulated boxes they didn't have chemtrails they didn't have pesticide exposure everywhere you know they didn't have thousands of chemicals they didn't wrap themselves in plastic every day yeah. so anyways for those with the genetic susceptibility the biotoxin is identified and tagged i'm sorry those without the genetic susceptibility so these are non-SIRS people, okay? So this is what sets this apart from somebody with SIRS. For those without the genetic susceptibility, the biotoxin is identified and tagged by a normal functioning immune system. It is broken down and then is detoxified by the liver. So this is what would happen with a normal immune system when you're exposed to a biotoxin. Detoxification system. Yes. For those without the appropriate immune response genes, so these are the HLA, DR genes, the immune system never forms the antibodies needed for the foreign antigen, and this leads to biotoxins circulating in the body indefinitely, wreaking havoc on all systems. So this is why SIRS does not look the same for two individuals, because it will affect everyone differently, presenting different symptoms, and to varying severity depending on the overall health prior to the exposure and the level of exposure. So once the biotoxins are present in the body, a complex cascade of biochemical events is set off. The biotoxins bind to surface receptors in nearly all kinds of cells. This recognition plus binding of the biotoxins causes a continual upregulation of multiple inflammatory pathways, including the production of cytokines and TGF-beta-1. Basically, this is a recipe for systemic chronic inflammation, which is why it's called chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Well, I think, especially for those in the pro-metabolic space, weird term these days, it's understood that the internal environment of your body 
impacts how your body functions as a system. Like we can't isolate things into different parts. We can't isolate how our heart functions relative to something else in the body. Like the body does operate as a system. And so the internal state impacts how that system runs and functions. And so when you have estrogen dominance and toxin like accumulation, you can imagine that there's just havoc, wreaking havoc inside. <laughs> stage I'm two. just trying to break it no, up. No, I, I thank you. So stage one was, like I said, the biotoxin effect. So that's like the, the main exposure you had, the genetic susceptibility you were exposed. Stage two of SIRS is the cytokine effects. Is it cytokine or cytokine? Cytokine. The cytokine. cytokine effects. Thank you. Cytokines, which are key modulators for inflammation in the body in normal circumstances are produced to respond to foreign pathogens in the body. In SIRS, the immune system doesn't identify the biotoxins for proper removal and antibody creation, so the cytokines bind to their receptors instead. This releases MMP9, matrix, I'm not even going to say this right, some ridiculous word in the blood, which transports inflammatory elements from the blood to sensitive tissue, which results in poor circulation and clot forming. Further, in the brain, Cytokines bind to the leptin receptor, preventing its normal function in the hypothalamus. This disrupts the initiation of steps that produce alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone, MSH, which results in headaches, muscle aches, unstable temperature, difficulty concentrating, as well as hindrance of normal metabolic regulation, which is crucial for reproduction and immune health. All right, Ashley's interjection. To me, this is just saying that like this SIRS is literally serving as a metabolic break. Yeah, so oh, something sure. that we talk about a lot is like the most important thing is a well-functioning metabolism. Many people can reach that in a number of different ways, right? In different dietary and lifestyle behaviors. However, you do have to recognize what your metabolic breaks are. And it sounds like SIRS is one of those breaks. That, that can be holding someone back from actually reaching a strong metabolism. Like maybe you're doing everything di right dietarily. You're exercising in a smart way. You're getting your daily steps in. You're reducing the amount of toxins you put on your body through like skin products and hair products and things like that, but you're still not getting better. Maybe this is that metabolic break that's holding you back from reaching those high body temperatures, from reaching a well-functioning systemic body. Because if you think about it, when you have a better, higher metabolic rate, your detoxification is naturally upregulated. You are more immune to viruses. You can fight off things better. So that's why that's beneficial. Your inflammation is overall lower as a result. So this is basically the opposite. So we went over stage two, which was the cytokine effects. Stage three is reduced VEGF. So VEGF stands for vascular endothelial growth factor, which is a signaling protein that encourages the growth of new blood vessels and helps restore blood supply to cells and tissues when deprived of oxygen. Low VEGF is typically seen as fatigue, muscle cramps, shortness of breath, and hindered exercise performance, or just a very low toler tolerability of exercise. So that's just another part of this downward spiral on this biotoxin pathway that occurs. Step four is the immune system effects. So this is where further inappropriate immune actions take place, such as autoimmune issues, gluten intolerance that might have come out of nowhere, even extremely debilitating things, like I said, MS, um, 
ulcerative colitis, all stemming from SIRS. So a lot of things can actually be misdiagnosed as all these different diseases that are inflammatory in nature that might be stemming from a biotoxin exposure and an inappropriate immune response. So I think it's important to consider sometimes like when you think about these conditions and people say these wide array of symptoms and it's like, how can these all be related? I think when we're thinking of like systemic metabolic health and how SIRS is negatively impacting that, it's important to consider that the weakest link in the body will be impacted. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, even beyond that though, like when you start having like systemic inflammation all over, they're all weak links. Yeah. So, yeah, but I'm, yeah. Okay. I, yes, you're completely right. And I mean, we'll go over things that I feel like you can do right now in the midst of all this to operate and function better and, you know, start your healing process. Doesn't mean you're going to get fully there, but you're, you don't have to be doomed. So high C4A is another marker that is an indication of SIRS. So we're going to go over the blood work in a bit here, but we're just going down the biotoxin pathway. C4A is an important marker. So this results from the complement system in the body being chronically activated. The complement system is part of the immune system that's responsible for enhancing the ability of antibodies in order to clear damaged cells, remove microbes, promote inflammation, and attack pathogens. When the system is chronically activated, inflammation becomes out of control, which impacts all systems of the body, including the brain. So to put this all together, Elevated cytokines, increased MMP9 in the blood, reduced EGF, and lowered MSH leads to leaky junctions in the blood-brain barrier and the gut. Leaky brain allows for neurotoxins to enter the brain, resulting in significant brain inflammation, as well as dysregulation of the pituitary and hypothalamus. So we see hormonal disturbances and SIRS, and then a lot of our gut and digestive issues that do not respond to gut protocols can stem from SIRS. Okay, so thinking about the met metabolism as a whole, we know that in order to, in order for something in the body to perform as it should, so in order for proper function, it must maintain proper structure. Structure and function are interdependent at every level. Was that Gilbert Ling or was that Dr. Ray Pete's quote? I'm not sure. I know so structure. structure and function are interdependent at every level in the body. And so clearly these biotoxins and the reduction in the metabolic rate is impacting structure and function. So stage five is low MSH. Low MSH results in reduced mel melatonin production, greatly hindering sleep quality and suppress endorphin production leading to chronic and unusual pain. It is the low MSH that leads to the leaky gut, which can lead to malabsorption issues, which only further plays into the systemic inflammation. Further, white blood cells eventually lose regulation of cytokine response, so opportunistic effect infections occur more readily, and recovery from these infections is slower. So this would look like somebody who's constantly getting sick. They are somehow getting every single infection, and they're not able to fight it fully. Like, it, it keeps coming back. It's quote-unquote chronic. Stage six is antibiotic-resistant staph bacteria, so... Low MSH lends itself to developing multiple antibiotic-resistant staph, which is known as Marcons, and allows this bacteria to survive in the biofilm on the mucous membranes. These bacteria further encourage MSH deficiency in the overall inflammatory problem by producing exotoxins that cleave MSH, further decreasing MSH levels. So this is a downward spiral 
thus overcoming Marcon's requires raising MSH and raising MSH requires treating Marcon's. So Marcon's is in the nasal cavities or nasal passageway, and it can also kind of take place in your teeth, I believe. But the treatment for this we'll discuss later on is crucial if you do have Marcon's and this is something you would test for. Yes. These are all kind of big words for me. Yeah. I mean, it, so that's why it's been really hard to talk about this because it's complex, but at the same time, due to Dr. Shoemaker doing all this research and creating this protocol, it's actually cl very clear and cut what to do about it. And so while these are big words, once you become familiar with these markers and what's happening in the body, everything makes sense. And I think that's extremely empowering for somebody who's dealt with what I like to call a mystery illness. You know yeah. I mean? So I think, I think just it's important that like big words, scary words, like, right. These are scary symptoms. <laughs> Ooh, boogeyman, sirs, scary. Hey. No, I think it's important to just say that like, thankfully there is a well-documented path forward and we'll get there. Yeah. I mean, I think this is actually should be really instilling hope in people because like I said, I think a lot more people are impacted by this than not, and it's not like it's a hopeless diagnosis. So moving along the biotoxin pathway, stage seven is pituitary hormone effects. The final stage is another consequence of reduced MSH, as this can decrease pituitary production of antidiuretic hormone ADH, which leads to symptoms like frequent urination, especially waking up multiple times at night to pee, excess thirst, low blood volume, and electric shocks from static electricity. Further, while sex hormone production is greatly downregulated, the pituitary may upregulate the production of cortisol and ACTH in the early stages of SIRS and then drop these levels to abnormally low levels as the SIRS continues to progress. So it can greatly impact your cortisol levels, your hormone function, uh, your fertility. Obviously, this is going to be impacted when your, your entire body is inflamed. So can you just summarize like this, these seven stages, is this just how SIRS impacts the body? It's like the biotoxin pathway is basically just like a, the downstream effects. So it can be described as like this happens. So then this starts happens. So then this starts happens. So then this starts happens. And you, it, it makes sense why you then during treatment address all these different steps back. Okay. So then you can fully recover. So the shoemaker biotoxin pathway, I wanted to include that just so we can paint a wider wider picture of SIRS and how it leads to a wide array of symptoms, um, some of which don't make any sense, some of which are a mystery to figure out. So just to go over some of the symptoms, and I'll explain my own experience here. So there's a laundry list of symptoms. I'm just going to list them off here, and you're going to be like, oh my god, that's basically everything. So poor sleep and insomnia, fatigue, muscle aches, cramps, static shocks, metallic taste in mouth, tingling, vertigo, tremors, frequent urination, excessive thirst, ice pick pain, headaches, red eyes, blurred vision, sinus issues, shortness of breath, cough, nausea, diarrhea, abdominal pain, memory problems, histamine intolerance, poor body temp regulation, night sweats, mood swings, weight gain, joint pain, confusion, poor concentration, hallucinations, mood swings, leaky gut, and then I put etc. So again, I think it's important <laughs> to remember that when there is systemic inflation, inflammation, um, that will impact how the body is functioning as a whole. And when we can't maintain proper structure, function is downregulated. That is just a well-known fact about our physiology. And so you can understand why this biotoxin accumulation would negatively impact structure across the body. 
Yeah, which leads to like a system-wide response. And I think it's also important to say that these symptoms aren't only caused by SIRS. Not everyone has SIRS. Yeah, yeah. I get to that for sure. Okay. It's just that's why mold toxicity is often seen as the great imitator because it literally looks like so many different diseases and you might be going and getting all this blood work done and nothing's popping up. Like you don't have diabetes, you don't have fibromyalgia, you don't have MS, but you have the symptoms of it. And that's why you need the proper testing and the investigation of what could have happened to result in this. And so again, I think this is very enlightening and I hope it's like very for you guys listening too to recognize that there could be something going on here. Okay. So before we talk about like how to test for SIRS to know if you actually do have it, what are some like indications as to maybe this is, oh, I've gone through some of these things. So then that is maybe a sign that I do have SIRS. Yes. Okay. So I would say one of the more relevant things for me is gut issues that do not fully resolve with gut healing protocols. So if you've bounced around from different protocols to heal your gut, you still have leaky gut, you still have bloat, you can't get over a SIBO. All these different things is an indication that your body simply cannot repair itself and it cannot fight it. That's a good indication. Again, it's not always SIRS, but it is a good indication. Um, another one would be that you've tried all the different diets and no diet has fully healed you. So maybe you've done carnivore to the T and you never got better. You did pro-metabolic to the T and things, even different things popped up. So like you've tried everything and nothing has actually worked for you. Autoimmune issues, especially if you have a family history, chronic yeast infection, chronic mineral imbalances, chronic insomnia that's unexplainable, chronic unexplained pain, chronic mental illness in the family, living in water damaged buildings, unfinished basements, old apartments and buildings, or that you simply moved somewhere new and you got worse. Yeah. So those would be things to think about if any of them are relevant for you and indications that you could be dealing with SIRS. And then Ashley mentioned that, you know, just because you might have some of these symptoms, it doesn't mean you have SIRS, but other things can actually be misdiagnosed, which are actually SIRS. So common misdiagnosis would be allergies, mental illnesses, ADD, chronic fatigue syndrome, autoimmune disorders, PTSD, and IBS. So these things are often related back to SIRS, basically stemming from SIRS, as in SIRS would be your root cause. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's these other conditions are just the expression of the biotoxin accumulation in the body. I would say so. It's just how the biotoxin exposure and the downregulated metabolism is manifesting itself in your body. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. And that's why it looks Thanks. different for everybody. <laughs> that's why it looks different for everybody because it's just, it's not uniform. Everybody's different. And so I guess I'll throw in my own experience. And we're all exposed to different biotoxins. That's true. Yeah. Which we'll talk about biotoxins next. Um, but basically, so the symptoms I was mostly dealing with that were just the most mysterious for me was the neuropathy on my feet at night. Gosh, guys, she tried everything. <laughs> Literally God. everything. I, most common suggestion was B vitamins and it's like this girl tried every B vitamin out there. Yeah. I get to that though. Like, okay, for sorry. Sure, I think B vitamins are useful for yeah. a good reason in regards to SIRS, but yeah, because I mean, you look up neuropathy and it's like, okay, you have diabetes or you've got a B vitamin deficiency. So it's like, which was it? I didn't have diabetes. So anyway, neuropathy that was unexplainable. Um, tingling, weird sensations on my skin, an increase suddenly of like different food sensitivities that were never there before. Water retention, 
a difficulty losing weight, difficulty keeping my good temp. So like I would get my temp up and then it would just like not regulate there. It just so again, regulated. body temperature and pulse is a sign of your metabolism. And so doing everything possible to keep that high and it still just like would get high and then go yeah, down. For sure. And I want to provide context. These were symptoms that I was dealing with strongly at the end of 2020 and through 2021. So a lot of them have either gone away completely for me or have significantly reduced. I'd say the main things that I still deal with is that I cannot fully heal my leaky gut because of what I talked about, low MSH and all the different levels. I will also say that like maybe metabolism, like the amount of calories that you can consume daily to keep your weight has changed. I feel like that has changed. Yeah. So it lowers metabolism. Yeah. Like I've, sure. I've seen that firsthand with you. I've watched that happen. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense. Like, but first off, if you're going to try to lose weight and you are full of toxins, the body is going to try to protect you and it's not going to easily shed that fat because the, the toxins are in your fat. And so to put that into your bloodstream is a direct poison. So people who have a hard time losing weight are usually pretty toxic. Well, I feel like if you go low and like if you starve yourself, like you can lose the weight, but it's just when you're in this inflamed toxic state, like, gosh, you got to go lower than what is what you should have to do. And I think that's not the normal human experience. No, it's not at all. You shouldn't, weight loss shouldn't be that hard. And so no. that's, I guess, another indication. If weight loss has been just incredibly hard and you've honestly been consistent and done all the right uh, things. Yes. If you've exercised, actually cooked your food, done good with your meals and total macros and stuff. Yeah. So what typically triggers SIRS? So SIRS. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So triggering SIRS. So this is an important thing. 2018, Sarah didn't have SIRS. 2020, Sarah had SIRS. Tell them why. We moved. We moved into mold. So she had some passed down through epigenetics. She had some sort of genetic susceptibility that an environmental exposure changed her gene expression to then express SIRS. Do I have that correct? You do. But I will say, I think the gene was expressed before then. I think that SIRS is the reason that I got an autoimmune disease in the first place. And I think it's the reason why we needed to go extremes. We went to carnivore. I think that there's a strong correlation between autoimmune disease and SIRS and that. But what about the, like growing up, like we, we were so restrictive as young adolescent girls. Well, yeah, but so I don't think there, I think there's levels to this. When I moved to this farmhouse, the exposure was extreme. It was mm -hmm. in my bedroom window. I was, I couldn't get restorative sleep because I was sleeping next to one of the sources. It was in other. She is sitting house. directly to the left, right of the source that has been remediated. Yeah, this is no longer my room. I had to switch rooms. So this is my bedroom. Yeah, I mean, it's there's like it's, there's no point in being like, oh, that's when the it started. You know, it's just important to understand what could be going on. So, what typically triggers SIRS is not always connected to water damage building, but it is probably a larger percent than not. So that would be basically a mold exposure. And the reason being is because mold is alive. Mold wants to stay alive. A specific species wants to outcompete another species and they don't have arms and legs and they can't fight with swords and guns and bombs. So they produce a chemical bomb and those chemical bombs are mycotoxins and so that's their form of chemical warfare. And mycotoxins are a form of biotoxins relevant to mold. So the mold, the biotoxin produced by mold 
is called mycotoxin. And every single microorganism in this world produces a biotoxin. There's just different types of biotoxins. That's correct. So it's not actually the mold that is harming somebody. It's the mycotoxin. And recent research has shown that it's actually not typically... Well, that's not exactly true. It's not always mycotoxins. Yeah, I was just saying that that's one one example. For sure. But I think that SIRS is commonly associated with mold exposure and the resulting mycotoxins. But what we've learned is that it's not always the mycotoxins that are the problem. And that's kind of what we're going through right now. So yeah, I think we, we focus in on mold, but we have to take a step back. And this is something that we can learn from soil health, right? So if we take a step back and realize in the soil, there's not just bacteria, there's fungi, protozoa, yeast, mold, like there's there's tons of different types of microorganisms and all of these microorganisms produce biotoxins. I feel like there's just like an extra emphasis on mold for whatever reason, but there's so many other microorganisms out there. And we're not saying that microorganisms are bad. We are one with microorganisms. It's just there are imbalances throughout the world in our homes, in the soil, in our environment because of all of the toxic crap and weird things that we are doing as human species these days. Would you agree? Definitely. Yeah. So the most common triggers would be, like I already said, exposure to water damaged buildings. So this would be the mycotoxins you mentioned. And then this would be the bacteria that thrive in this environment, like actinomycetes, endotoxins, and the chemicals produced. So think of this as like dysbiosis in your gut. So some event triggered a bacterial imbalance in your gut. And so like mold growth in the home can then trigger a dysbiosis in your home microbiome. And so now there are these pathogenic bacteria that are dominating because they are producing higher levels of biotoxins. Yep, exactly. And so the fragments produced... Gosh, there's so many parallels to soil health. I just want to go down those rabbit holes. Fragments lead to inflammation. And this doesn't have to be an active mold growth right now. This could be a past mold that was even remediated, but it was never properly cleaned up. The next common trigger would be a tick or a spider bite. So SIRS is the common reason for chronic Lyme disease that cannot go into remission despite all best efforts. Physeria, a toxoorganism associated with harmful algae blooms in cyanobacteria or blue-green algae. So exposure to this biotoxin can occur when eating reef fish that have been eating other fish that have consumed this weird microorganism. Funky fish. I would say that one, I don't know how common that one is, but maybe it is. Swimming in or drinking contaminated water. So similar to what I just said, this would be specifically in areas of algae blooms. So, so, the Ficeria and the so this, this, is really, again. this is really important because I think that this is the result of toxic toxins that we are releasing into the environment. And so, you know, you hear about people who are environmentalists. And they talk about like excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And like carbon dioxide is not a toxin. Our carbon dioxide cycle isn't working. What is a toxin is all of the toxins that we're using in our food and farming practices. And that is entering into these waters. And now there are these articles saying that like common, just like lakes are just not healthy for people to swim in. It's it's mind-blowing. And so, of course, in these toxic water streams, I'm sure there's pathogenic bacteria overload. Like though they would probably thrive in those. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah. Our friend Jeff sent us an interesting article related to the lakes in Michigan, like an extremely large proportion. Close to 50%. Deemed unsafe. Yeah. To swim in. So that's lovely. Infections is another thing. So some suspect that COVID can lead to SIRS and that the long COVID, so people who can't get over COVID is actually SIRS. That's, I'm not saying that as a fact. I'm saying that's a, people speculate on that. Vaccines. So the endless things that this introduces into the body and the downstream inflammatory reaction that can cause the onset of SIRS from getting a vaccine. And then VOCs, so volatile organic compounds. So these are things that are toxic in the home environment, like paints, flame retardants, these can cause the inflammatory cascade to begin or further make it worse. So now that we've discussed what is required for SIRS to take place and the common triggers, let's discuss who's at risk. So there was a question whether this was something you were born with or not. So someone on Instagram asked, is this something you were born with? And technically the answer is no. We kind of went over this a little bit, but the genetic susceptibility is something you were born with, but you were not born with SIRS. It, I, I think it's just important to remember that like our gene expression is constantly being impacted by our environment, yes, both exactly. internal and external. Yeah. And like, it makes sense why you can treat SIRS because you can change your genetic expression. Boom. Boom. Yes. So the biotoxins mentioned above that I just said, um, they're common in today's environment, um, but they do not affect everyone the same. So this is why there are instances where a family moves into a house and maybe just the mom gets sick or the mom and the son get sick, but the dad and the other child are perfectly fine. Susceptibility is key. So with that said, if the biotoxin load was extremely heavy in this hypothetical house, everyone would be affected because no one's health would be optimal when you're living in a chronic exposure to biotoxins. It's just simply going to be very inflammatory but it may not present itself as SIRS. So somebody who's exposed to this might move out of the moldy environment or the toxic environment and get better. But people with SIRS will not fully get better unless they treat SIRS, even if they move out of the exposure. So that's why it can be those lingering, that lingering last 10% for you that you can't wrap your head around, you can't get better, nothing helps. That could be because of the downstream effects of the biotoxin pathway we discussed earlier. So those born with one or more of the HLA-DR genes are the ones who are most impacted by SIRS. And according to the Shoemaker research, approximately 25% of the population has these genes and is affected because of how toxic the environment has become. Over 50% is speculated houses. Over 50% of houses have water damage. So the reason isn't necessarily something you deal with from birth. It's, it's not that. You're not born with SIRS. It requires the genes to be present and then a triggering triggering event as that could even just be very poor health and a very stressful life or exposure to one of the biotoxins that we mentioned. So you can develop SIRS at any point in your life given these factors are met. So this is something you can get tested with blood work, which we'll discuss next. I have the multiple susceptible haplotype and the mold susceptible haplotype. So those are my HLA-DR genes. You only need to have one. Hold on, girl. What? Okay. Okay. So, all right. Hi. (laughs) I may like, I'm one of our audience members listening in and maybe they're thinking, wow, I've definitely had an event like this. Maybe, and I can't explain why I'm still dealing with symptoms, even though my best efforts at improving my metabolism, making good food choices, exercising in a smart way. How do I know if I have SIRS? 
Sarah, right. tell me. Okay, we're going to get to the testing for sure. So one of those tests is the haplotypes, and that's the HLA. Haplotype. Where do you get this test? We will get there for sure. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's actually pretty easy to order. Um, not all the testing is cheap, so I guess there is a financial you know strain here, and that is a big factor, and I, we can talk about that too. But all the testing is something that you can either get ordered through a doctor or I'm going to list other great resources that don't require a doctor. So stay tuned for that. But just to provide context, like I said, I have the multiple susceptible haplotype and then I have the mold susceptible haplotype. So those are my two genetic susceptibilities that makes me very susceptible to getting SIRS. And I actually need to back up here for a second. You can have SIRS without the gene susceptibility if the exposure was that bad. But you will have a lot easier time fully recovering than somebody with SIRS. I would say that's probably very rare, but I just wanted to be sure to say that because, you know, that might be somebody's case. But the genetic susceptibility, the HLA-DR genes, is a very good diagnostic tool. So we're going to go into testing just basically on a surface level. Um, so there, one, to diagnose SIRS, one, there has to be history of exposure. So that could have been all those different things. It could have been COVID. It could have been a vaccine. It could be you moved into a water damaged building. You swam in a dirty lake. Um, so many different things. So you, you ate some funky fish. You ate funky fish. You've had long-standing SIBO, and like that just led to just horrible inflammation. Two is your symptoms. So like we said earlier, most likely the symptoms of SIRS are going to overlap with other conditions, which makes it very confusing. There's a chart available online, so you can just type into Google like SIRS symptom chart, and basically you have to have a set number of the different clusters and a set number of the symptoms, and that is a good indication that you could be dealing with SIRS. It's not definitive. You don't have to have that many symptoms. I would prioritize a little bit more the blood work and the gene testing and the exposure than just saying like, this matches me exactly, because like we already mentioned, the symptoms can vary a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely do these specific tests. Yes. So the first test that you can do is the visual contrast sensitivity. You test. can do this right now. You can pause yeah. this podcast and you can go to a website and do this. Yes. Yeah, so it's a VCS test. This test allows you to see whether you can distinguish between low contrast levels in order to determine neurological function. So VCS is visual contrast sensitivity. Yes. Okay. And... This involves, this test involves a series of images that you basically just try to identify the direction of these lines and then your score can impact, indicate whether you've been impacted or not. So it, it progressively gets more difficult to see like which way the lines are going and the, the blurring of them. And basically somebody with SIRS most likely will fail this test. So they'll get a low score and the VCS test will output your score straight away. It's, I believe there is a free version online. Otherwise it's like $15. So in the, in the show notes, I'll list where to take this test and you guys can try that out for yourself. So just to kind of provide context of why the VCS test is useful in this regard is we discussed earlier how the white blood cells created by the innate immune system respond to biotoxin. It restricts the blood flow to the capillaries. Thus, the capillaries and the optic nerve are impacted by this decreased blood flow. And this causes SIRS patients to lose contrast sensitivity. So people who have always had like weird white blood cell counts on their blood tests chronically, would that be? That could be. That's actually really interesting. I feel like I've literally always had that. Yeah, you've always had that. Yeah. Like I, I WBC guess, is always weird for you. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I don't know enough about that, but I wonder if that just means like there's been a systemic infection that my body has never properly been able to fight. And so that's just honestly another inflammatory component. But if you treat the SIRS and get your inflammation down and get your body functioning better, you will handle that infection. Yeah. Okay. So VCS tests, you can do that now. Yes. Uh, it's not bulletproof, but apparently about 7% of SIRS patients will have a false pass. Seven? That's like, that's meaning like they'll have a false pass. Oh, false pass. Yeah, so yeah. they will pass it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and those who fail the symptom cluster that I mentioned, plus fail the VCS test. So you failed the symptom cluster, you failed the VCS test, that they have a 98% chance of having SIRS. So you have the symptoms, you fail the VCS test, there's 98% chance you have SIRS. Correct. Okay. So my VCS test was failed horribly, um, but there is something super cool about using this test during treatment that we'll discuss later. It's inexpensive. You can get it at home. I would definitely give it a shot. So just an overview of the blood work. It's testing certain levels in the body. So you would have high C4A, low C3A. What's that? I, I'm not even going to go into this. Okay. This is far where, and above. Where do you get these blood? Where do you get this blood work? Um, how do you get this blood work? You can't just show up at a Quest Diagnostics and be like, I want my C4A and C3A measured. Correct. No, you have to order it through your doctor or I'm going to provide at the end resources that somebody can go to to get this done without going to the doctor first. Yeah. So just a, again, a brief overview. We've got C4A and C3A levels. If you've had any sort of autoimmune blood work done before, you've probably been familiar with those levels. Uh, we've got the low VIP. We've got the VEGF level that we're measuring, ADH. Um, the MSH we mentioned, the TGF-beta-1, the MMP9T regulatory cells, and then the Marcons. So the everything but the Marcons is a blood test, and then Marcons is done by putting like a swab into your nasal cavity, and then you move it around, and then you send that swab back to uh, a test place, and then they test it for Marcons. So other valuable testing would be testing your home for biotoxins, which would be something like doing an ERMI or HurtsMe and an actinomycetes test, endotoxin test. You could even do your workplace or somewhere you spend a lot of time and maybe you can recognize that this place you don't feel the best in. Does that make sense? Yeah, those can definitely rack up in expenses. They do. Um, so I also heard about a recent canine mold service so a dog can come into your home and can help like sniff out where where potential sources are so you can look that up online i thought that was pretty cool i was like a little bit weird about it though because i was like does this dog spend its entire life smelling mold yeah like i feel like that's not good for the dog because dogs can be affected by mold yeah but i understand that it's useful okay let's get to the best part about this entire sirs thing is that the treatment is well documented and there is hope and you will get out of it. Definitely. Yeah. So all thanks to Dr. Richie Shoemaker, who has developed the step-by-step -step protocol that is apparently very effective for curing SIRS, meaning reversing the symptoms, bringing the body back into balance and allowing for the biotoxins accumulated to be excreted. That's amazing. This doesn't mean that everything will be perfect once you go through the protocol, because there's likely a lot of issues that might've popped up in your high inflammatory state. But now your body has the space to heal because it's not trying to chronically fight these biotoxins chronically, chronically, chronically. Exactly. Yes. So you're in a much better place to handle your stress load and viruses. Yeah. Like you can't just do this. You can't just do this protocol and then just say, F it. I'm going to go eat fast food every day, not exercise, not focus on my sleep. It's not like this cures, like it's not curing everything. It's just, it's 
allowing your body to actually get rid of these biotoxins, right? I think people with chronic illness will understand this. It will make you a more normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> like you won't have the hardest time in the world just to maintain your health. So I have to say this though, if you have SIRS, you do need to go through this protocol and not just do some random mold detox protocol online and work with the random practitioner on Instagram. You need to work with the Shoemaker certified practitioner who will take you through this protocol. It is the only protocol that has been tested and proved through countless clinical trials and is medically deemed effective. So don't be like me. Don't waste two years wasting a ton of money going through different protocols, doing different detox things that were just not, they were missing the mark as to what was the actual problem. Like I super encourage you to just take this next step if this is resonating with you at all and get tested. I will say like Sarah is a incredibly functioning health, like <laughs> she, she functions well. It's not like she's laying in bed. It's just has had to work unnecessarily hard to achieve this level of health. Definitely. I, and it's yeah. exhausting. It's exa- I'm literally done. Like I'm tired of it. And that's why this was actually refreshing for me to have this diagnosis. Uh, I talked to nutrition with Judy about that in her recent podcast about SIRS. And basically we came to the conclusion that it is not the normal human experience to have to try this hard. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. But I mean, gosh, look at our environment. Yeah. I mean, we're that's really set up for success, but it's okay. It's okay. We can do it. So a brief overview of the treatment plan. This information, everything I've said today is available online. And the reason I wanted to say it out in my voice, sharing my experience is to kind of put like a person, a face to it too. Because when I read things online, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Or I'm like, holy crap, that's really intimidating. Scary boogeyman. Yeah, exactly. And so I just wanted to make this approachable for you guys and just walk through it with you so you don't feel alone in this because I'm right there with you. Ashley's going to get tested. We're going to see what's going on there. She's So I have the genes, so like we just need to test for Ashley too. I'm going to take the VCS test after she this. Take the VCS test. So anyway. I don't, re- I don't really have the symptom clusters though. She has literally not the symptom clusters. So again, that's a, yeah, that's a very helpful diagnostic tool. But I am the rarity being this well-functioning. Most people with SIRS are actually doing very poorly. So I am not, don't take me as the good example of SIRS. I have worked so hard to get to where I am today to be operating at like 90%, but I'm don't settle. I don't want to don't settle, sister. Don't settle, sister. <laughs> it's like, I'm not settling. I'm not settling. It's been exhausting. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> brief overview of the treatment. Step one, the most important and the most stressful step is to remove yourself from the exposure. This is not easy in practice. No, it is. This is, I am on step one. It is so hard. So we did a mold remediation. So first off, the thought, like step, step one, step zero is like wrapping your head around this and being like, I'm going to investigate my house for mold. Like, that's scary. You Mm -hmm. have to put so much money into just doing tests and you have to get scary test results back and you have to do something with that information and you have to do it properly. So we went through all of this in 2021. 2021 was a hard year. You want to tell them about it? Ooh, Sarah and I weren't really friends. Um, I kind of ran the farm by myself. You know how they say that you are the combination of the five people you spend the most amount of time with? Those five people were chickens. So I don't know what that says about me. 
Um, we did the mold remediation. We were scammed by a few remediation companies. We lived outside in tents. We were trying to start a farm from scratch as first-generation farmers. I was living at the, our parents' house and communicating to the c- – communicating. I was communicating to the farm, <laughs> transporting to the farm every day. Um, and Sarah was going through a lot with the mold exposure and didn't have any answers. And I – of course, every – 2020 hindsight, you know, I wish SIRS was just addressed then. Yeah. Honest to God, I if I could go back, oh, yeah. I would save so much money, so much time, so much stress. But the mold remediation was necessary. Oh, definitely. So the most stressful piece of this entire thing is kind of coming to terms with that you've been impacted by something in your environment. Because especially when it's your home, that's just supposed to be your safe space. And I would say safety is like one of the like on a hierarchy of needs, safety's like on the bottom. Like you need to feel safe. That is going to impact every other aspect of your life. It will keep you in a fight or flight response. Yeah. And so if you don't feel safe, I mean, how are you going to focus on a relationship? How are you going to build who you are as a person? How are you going to do anything? Like all of the plan, the great plans we had, we moved here, were put on hold we had to put so much money and thank God we had our parents who could help us with our renovations. But I think I talked to Judy a lot about this. One of the more challenging pieces of this picture for me has been feeling like I'm an extreme burden on my family because the amount of money and stress this has taken to move one foot forward. And we still have more foot forwards to move is astronomical. So we could have been, if like none of this happened, we could have been like five years ahead of where we are now. And like, I think that that's really hard to grasp, you know, but it's also like went through it for a reason. Definitely. And like, I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around what to do with this information. And that's why I suddenly felt inspired to share because I have to take my struggles and try to help someone else because this is, this has been the most challenging last few years of my life and it has changed who I am as a person. It has changed how I see nutrition, how I, how I see everything. And so, but you wouldn't have met your fiance. Oh yeah. I got engaged throughout all this madness. So that's, that's like, that's, I'm definitely going to discuss that because I feel like a huge component to this is still living your life. So anyway, step one is removed from the exposure. And so we're, let's regroup. We're going back (laughs) to the overview of how to fix the root cause of SIRS. Yeah. And so step one, when I go, when we reach a point at the end where we talk about what's next for us, I'm going to discuss what we're doing for this. But step one is to remove from exposure. Step two is to remove the biotoxins from your body. And you cannot just use some activated charcoal. Yeah. You can't use some random binder like activated charcoal or those like combination binders you can buy on Amazon. You have to use a prescription binder like cholesterolamine or Wellcol. So these are two very strong binders. Colostrumine is actually used medically to reduce cholesterol. That's not what we're doing here with SIRS. There's something about the polarity of it, and it binds to your bile, binds to your bile acids, it binds to all the toxins that are being released with your bile, and then hypothetically it is then passed through your stool out the door. So that is how you get the biotoxin out, and over time, the 
toxins that are stuffed in your tissues will eventually start to come out into circulation as the body starts to feel more safe, inflammation is lowered, and the colostrumine will continue to bind. And you take this binder, you do not move on to next to the next step until you pass the VCS test. So remember that, that test online. Yes. Where some pictures come to yeah, are so presented we, to you. You have to test the contrast sensitivity. So the success of the binder is deemed by you being able to pass that test. So I think that's really cool. I think that that is like real-time results that should be really insightful. And, you know, as you start making progress, that should be really hopeful. Well, the really nice thing is like, it's no more subjectiveness. It's like, these are objective markers that you should follow as you're going along your treatment. And that is, I feel like with chronic illnesses, those don't exist sometimes. And so it seems really nice to be able to have that metric to be able to track. Definitely. doesn't make it easy. Uh, doesn't make it easy at all. So this step also recommends lipid replacement therapy, which involves high dose fish oil. And this is something I'm personally kind of like still sitting on. I'm probably not going to do that. You can also just eat a lot of really high quality grass fed beef and things like fish eggs to get your um, omega-3s and stuff. Again, I'm just sharing what is out there as a treatment. If it came down to it and it was like make or break between getting better, I would take it. I don't care. But Right now, I'm going to do things like grass-fed beef and fish eggs. I do feel uncomfortable with high-dose omega-3. Yeah, but I totally totally hear you. Especially the reason being is is like we're exposed to high levels of iron too. And so we all know the the combination of omega-3 plus iron is literally lipid oxidation. So – I, I hear you, you know, and like I, I see, I see them from the same viewpoint as. But you. I'm not a SIRS expert. Yeah, and I'm also not saying you shouldn't take them. I'm not saying you should take them. I'm literally presenting my experience here and my thought process around this. I'm gonna do my best to eat high quality saturated fats, animal products, high quality grass fed beef, which has omega threes, fish eggs has omega threes, and do my best there and see what happens. And again, you guys, this is something you need to decide for yourself. You might have no dogmatic views about fish oil. It might be like, oh yeah, I take those already or power to you. But that's just something that I wanted to bring up as part of the treatment. Um, and so that's because it's that's an essential step in the treatment. It is part of step two. That's not necessarily like the make or break. Is that just because like our toxins are, are stored in our fat? And so we're trying to just like eradicate those apparently the binder can like strip the cell wall and you need to repair you need to be repairing okay i i would prefer that you are repaired with more saturated than polyunsaturated i mean so i just if anybody who's a SERS expert is listening to this and like oh my god you girls don't know i'm sorry this is just me so this is actually being her and you know what nutrition world is incredibly dogmatic and it's frustrating and I've really taken a step back from it in a lot of ways. And if something helps somebody, I like that for them. I don't I like that for you. I no, no like seriously, I like that for you. That helps you heal. I like that for you. I have literally no dogmatic views anymore because this going through SIRS has put me into the position to question everything that I believe about nutrition because I have tried everything. And that does something to you. Yeah. You look at that Instagram feed and you're like, no. Oh gosh, I'm so annoyed with Instagram. <laughs> I like just don't go on Instagram. We haven't posted in a while. We're getting there. So <sighs> yeah. Step three. So we did step one, we removed step two, we removed biotoxins with the binder. That step alone could take several months. It could take six months. It could take a year. You have to kind of build up your tolerance to the binder. Somebody who's doing really bad 
might not tolerate the binder. And so you will do a very small dose and probably work your way up. Probably will use Wellcall because it is better tolerated and less strenuous to use than colostramine. But co- I don't even know I'm saying that right. Colostramine is extremely, extremely effective. I think four times more effective than Wellcall. But that doesn't mean Wellcall is not effective. It just means that Wellcall might take longer. Does that make sense? Yeah. An unfortunate part of this step is that uh, binders, just the nature of being a binder is constipating. Yeah, and so you have to excrete these toxins in your stool, but you're constipated. So So wouldn't a parallel thing inside step two is to just make sure that you have daily bowel movements? Yes. So using bowel support if necessary due to constipation. It's it's just binders are constipating. That's just... Nobody likes constipation. No. No. Um, And so that's how we eradicate that. Like that's literally a very important part. Oh, 100% is. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to poo, period. Step three, eradicate Marcons. So this is only going to be necessary for somebody who tested positive for Marcons. I didn't test positive for Marcons. So that doesn't mean I don't, I'm not going to get it because I do have low MSH. And like I said earlier, low MSH is, leads you to. These are big words for me. To Marcons. So that's going to be a personal thing for you. You might have it. You might not. Most likely if you have SIRS, you have Marcons. So step three would be eradicating that. And that's Why don't you have Marcons? I, I just am curious. Just kidding. For a long time, I've used X-Clear, which is a xylitol-based nasal spray, and I have a feeling that that kind of kept things at bay for me. Interesting. But I don't know for sure. So step four would be correct anti-gliadin antibodies. So basically all this step requires is that you remove gluten from the diet. And then if you have a digestive disorder, if you've got SIBO, you would take action and start healing that. No sourdough? I don't think you should do sourdough if you've got SIRS. Step five. At the end, you can, right? Hypothetically, at the end, a healthy body should be able to eat a balanced diet. Step five is to normalize androgen hormone levels. So hormones are often impacted, like we discussed, and they must be corrected. They, It's just sometimes they won't go back to normal on their own if they've been off for a long time. And so this is accomplished with something like DHEA supplementation, relatively low risk things. That's a pro-metabolic, that's repeat approved. I would say though that some people can come back into normal ranges and some practitioners may not like to use hormone replacement in any way, but this is definitely something that will be looked at by your practitioner. So maybe depends on how long you've been dealing with it. I think so. Okay. Oh, all these levels depend on, for sure, for sure. Because it's a, like we talked about, it's a pathway that's cascading down as you get worse and worse. I see. <clears throat> but that, that, that actually is not going to have like a direct That's not going to have a direct correlation to like your, your blood work. For example, because um, I've gotten tested for SIRS at two different points now and my blood work just changed drastically that had no match to my symptoms exactly. It got significantly worse on one level, but better on another. So Yeah, but when you have chaos inside the body, how exactly. can you expect any normalcy? Exactly. So step six is you're going to correct the ADH in osmolality. What does that mean? It You're correcting basically the way that your body is able to maintain its food levels and electrolyte balance. How do you do that? I, to be clearly honest, I don't know the exact steps. It is something to do with a... You're not there yet. Something you take. I'm not, I'm not there yet. And again, I'm not claiming to be an expert here. I'm sharing, you know, my own experience and what I've learned from, from my Dr. practitioner, from Dr. Shoemaker, from Judy, from online. All right. 
Um, correct MMP9 is step seven, and this is accomplished through a low amylose diet. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what to eat, what the heck? Like, so hold on, hold on. Diet. Mm-hmm. Amylose is so there's sucrose sources, so like fruits, honey, maple syrup, and then there are starches, you know, things like bread, potatoes, rice, and within each starch, um, there is a different amount of amylose and amylopectin. So these are like types of carbohydrate molecules. And so it's very like you can look up online what foods are high in amylose and that will come up. But what are some examples, Sarah? Yeah. So this looks like no underground vegetables like roots, sweet potato, tubers, carrots, beets, etc. I believe you can't have things like onions though. No bananas. Bananas is the only forbidden fruit. Forbidden. Forbidden. No wheat or wheat-based products, so that would be no sourdough. No rice, no oats, no barley, no rye, and no foods with added sugars, sucrose, corn syrup, or maltodextrin. So why why is this again? Like, is this just... So my understanding is that these foods cause a higher spike in blood sugar for most individuals, and that can be inflammatory for somebody who cannot balance that properly. I don't know the exact... Uh, mechanism going on here or if the, if that's the exact reason why but for me that's why I would personally avoid these foods at this point in my life and and this is just basically um again none of these foods are bad we're not saying any of these foods are bad it's just for someone healing from SIRS when you are at this like foo bar effed up beyond recognition state, sometimes you have to take these measures to allow the body to actually heal itself. Definitely. Apparently this step is crucial for correcting MMP9 levels. So So what about honey? I have seen no indications that you can't have honey. I would say some people like who are really going to say, you know, you need to do carnivore diet, they would probably say no honey. Um, But I think you really need to, uh, gosh, you have to just see what's going to work for you. Um, Again, I wouldn't recommend any of these high amylose foods. So, so get your carbs. Fair. So you're getting your carbs in from fruits, honey, and milk. Yeah, I, I get fresh fruits in moderation, and then I do some honey or manuka honey, and then some raw milk. Is I tolerate those foods really well. Those foods are doing good for me, and that's in combination with I'm, a I'm, lot of animal products and um, muscle meats and saturated fats. Is that, that diet is working for me? I don't know if that's going to change as I go through this this protocol. I like that for you. She likes it for me. <laughs> okay, so you have to do some sort of dietary restriction um, along really this healing not, journey. It's really not bad. So no, it's if not. If you wanted to go the full Monty and do you know more of a carnivore keto style, you can. It, honestly, again, no dogma. You have to find what is going to reduce your inflammation at this point in your life and make you feel your best while you go through this protocol. If you are active, potentially you include more carbohydrates. I mean, sure, but again, you you got to drop the dogmatism. I, dogmatism was dropped, man. Doesn't seem like it. <laughs> step eight is correct. V E G F. I don't know what that one was. Don't ask me. Step nine is correct. C three A and C four A. Step ten is correct. T G F beta one. Step eleven is optimized VIP. So I'm going down this laundry list of things. Basically, there are your practitioner that you work with, you got to work with a shoemaker certified practitioner. Your sh- practitioner you work with will walk you through this process and correct these levels somehow with you. I don't know exactly. You're just basically cre- cleaning up the trash and garbage that SIRS has left behind. Exactly. 
So at this point, once you've gone through all 11 steps, you should be free of symptoms and your blood markers should be in the normal ranges. Um, this is great. You should pass the BCS test, like I said, and you should be able to move on with your life and start kind of patching up the, anything that's residual and- And honestly, just living life. Live a normal life at this point. And this involves being mindful of future exposures with the understanding and the knowledge that you have this susceptibility. So that's a great question. What about future exposures? Because you have already gone through this process, you fixed all these different levels. If you have an exposure, you need to be on, you know, you need to have your radar on. If you have an exposure, you just need to take the binder for a few days after it, or you can plan in advance. You don't know, say you're going out of town. You don't know what, you know, where you're going to be staying. Take the binder the day before, take the binder when you all throughout and take the binder when you get back. So that's what I've been told um, from my practitioner, from talking to Judy, from learning online, from listening to Dr. Shoemaker. So it it's not a death sentence is what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not like you have to live in a bubble, which I've considered at certain points of the last few years. <laughs> yeah, like those people that roll around in those uh, large circle bubbles. Yes. Um, so that's all of the technical information that I have for you today. Again, I got this information from incredible resources online, survivingmold.com. And I just want to do one more thing. No, we're not done here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know that someone's going to be like, oh my God, germ versus terrain theory. Is someone saying that? I, I can imagine <laughs> so, because they're going to be like, these things are natural in the environment. So germ versus terrain. And it's like, okay, but the environment isn't natural kind of anymore yeah i feel like we've we've never like we live in these insulated boxes with uncontrolled humidity at times and hvac systems that blow toxins all throughout the house there are conditions that allow things to grow and spread and most of our society's health has never been worse we are becoming very not strong and resilient as a society as a whole. I think there's a perfect storm for something like this to take place. It is well, well documented that the human metabolic rate has been declining. And so when that happens, you are just a more susceptible individual. And some, and like when that's passed down from like a mother to a child, they're kind of set up not for success from the start. Totally. And this is documented by like the trend in the body temperatures of humans throughout the years. And so that, like you said, that, that perfect storm, that combination of like a less metabolic rate, poor, poor metabolic rates, plus toxic environment, that's a recipe for disaster. It for sure is. So you can't blame yourself. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about my experience with SIRS and then what helped me the most. And then I'm going to go over the questions that were asked. So my experience in general, like I already discussed, was the most difficult thing was feeling like a burden and having to explain this to people in my life, to be gaslit by people who don't believe in this type of stuff. Gosh, that's that's the worst when you're gaslit by those that you know, are the closest in your circle. It's very isolating. You have to explain yourself when you're already not functioning well. Like, Did I gaslight you? I, yes, over time. Like in many ways you have in the past. Yeah, you. When I first told you about SIRS, you were like, but this, but that. <laughs> I hadn't heard of it before, so I'm I sorry. Understand. I understand. But guys, that's why I think 
empower yourself and learn so you can confidently explain to people that's not for me or this is what's going on or I know what I need to do. Toxic person, walk the other way. Toxic person, walk the other way. You have to be your own advocate. And I have now outright said this to people in my life. I said, I have to advocate for myself. I don't, I'm sorry. I appreciate that, but I don't care what you have to say about this. I'm doing what's best for me because I've gone, like I've gone through the worst of it and I'm going to allow the circumstances for my body to fully heal. So I need to empower you the power you with those words. Um, in terms of our, you know, current struggle is to get out of the exposure. So there is so much complexity with water damage buildings and we did the mold remediation in 2021 and it proved to be rather successful because we retested. So we redid one of those hurts me tests and our hurts me level is actually good and safe considered safe for SIRS. Mold remediated, check mark, but. But um, what comes with mold, like we mentioned, is uh, bacteria like actinomycetes. And then for whatever reason, there's high levels of endotoxin in our house. So right now we are dealing with having to clean up these biotoxins, these germs that are in high levels in our house. And I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look like. I've consulted with an environmental expert And that's a whole nother topic because you have to find people who are proficient in SIRS, not just like the the mold remediator in your town. They're not going to do it right. So basically what I'm thinking is it's going to be like a sanitization process of the entire house, putting in new protocols for, you know, farm stuff, not coming into the house and so on. It's, It's going to be very challenging, but it is a necessary next step. So again, most, uh, I guess you said, it's predicted that 25% of the population is dealing with this. So 75% of the population would do fine in a household. Um, They'll do fine, but like, again, don't settle. But I think kind of where we're at right now is that we didn't do the best job cleaning up after the chemical shit storm. Well, we, we did a lot. No, we didn't. We didn't touch the basement, Sarah. We didn't touch the basement. We were in full white suits. We wiped every surface. We threw away all of our porous items. Yeah, but we didn't touch the basement. It, it's just to say that it's very, this is a very hard step. So don't, it's the most stressful and it's the hardest step to find a safe place to live or to remediate your house. The easiest thing to do would be to move to another home or build a home. That was not a financial option at the time. No. And that's why we moved into a tent for two months. So that is where we're at with, you know, our own remediation at this point. Honestly, I'm excited because I need a spring cleaning. I need less things in my life. I want to move towards minimalism. So we have a full house clean ahead of us. And again, germ versus terrain theory. The home, the home microbiome has a slight, no, it's not even the, it's not even the microbiome. It's the biotoxins have accumulated and we didn't clean them all up. Yeah. Another fun fact, actinomycetes. So they're in the environment, but there are species that live on the human. So we also tested for human-based actinomycetes doing That's a, bacteria. a swab test behind the ear and sent this into Envirobiomics. And I'll link the link to that test below, but I would only do that if your practitioner recommends it. But we did it and we all have high levels of actinomycetes in the skin. So it's like- Hold on, another, hold on, hold on. Hold on. It's like another variable and you have to treat that on your skin while this is like going on in your environment and shedding off of you. So it's very complex to say that remediating and cleaning your house is easy is laughable. Yeah. It's, it's just reduce, again, this is step one, reducing your exposure so that your body has the space to be able to heal. Sarah, who was the highest atinomycetes? 
but source it's well you located who was the second highest me yes so you (laughs) so anyways that's i'm going and i just want to say this because i was under the belief that i couldn't start the binder until the environment was perfect but thanks to judy and my new practitioner i'm working with i've been put on the binder because you can start to at least remove some of that from you while you work on your environment and i think that that's kind of cool i feel like it it leaves you less at like a standstill if you're really struggling to find a safe environment. I would say if somebody's dealing with a lot of symptoms and they're in a very, very, very bad environment, not to do this, but for most people, I think it would be fine. So it can start you going in the right direction, right? Definitely. So if you're curious, I am on step one and step two at the same time. I am step one, still trying to clean up the environment. And step two, I've started the binding and yeah. And so what are some of the things that have happened after starting the binding? And so Oh my gosh, scary. You're taking a pharmaceutical drug. Yes, I know. It, <laughs> it's a binder. That's Yeah. And so the binder has been extremely constipating. I've had to go to drastic measures to go to the bathroom, but you have to, you have to go to the bathroom. And so the way this, the binder works, at least col- I'm, I'm doing colostromine. I'm probably butchering that. I'm doing colostromine. It's it's one of the binder options. Yes. It's, it's definitely the more... Uh, less tolerable option, but I felt like I was strong enough to take it. And basically you work your way up to four servings, four times a day, and then you have to eat some sort of fat 30 minutes after you take it. So your bile is released and then it binds to that bile. So anyways, it's very constipating. I'm working through that. If you're out there constipated, I hear you. So that's what we're doing. But I will say that like my sleep has actually relatively rapidly improved within the last week or so of being on it. And sleep was definitely one of my worst things that I dealt with. So I think that's pretty cool. I don't know if it's exactly correlated, but I'm just going to roll with it. So like I slept through the night. That's a flex. (laughs) You're so hip. (laughs) So yeah. So one of the questions on Instagram was things that helped me the most so far in this experience with SIRS. And so I was just going to list off some of the things that I find have been the most helpful and have what I attribute to being a high functioning SIRS patient. Sarah is, Sarah is very high functioning. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think, But don't settle, sister. Yeah, no. Okay. So one of the more important things I think is, and this hasn't been my whole journey, but I think maintaining and continuing to try to build muscle has been helpful in many different aspects. One, it brought me back to a hobby that I love and that's going to the gym and being active. So that took my mind off being sick. Strong Sisters was started as a love for our lifting. Yes. And two, it muscle is very pro metabolism. It is very helpful to keep your metabolic rate up. It is a very protective organ in the body. And so the more muscle we can maintain, the better off we're going to be overall. And you know, if you're somebody who's like bed bound and you're not equipped to work out right now, just ignore what I'm saying. But when you get to a point in your recovery where you feel like you can be active again, put on that muscle so you are more resilient in the future. Two has been eating high quality, low inflammatory foods. So what this looks like is a lot of animal products. I like these days, I like protein forward meals. So I really make sure I'm getting enough protein in each meal. And that's like upwards of 40, 45 grams, 50 grams if you're only eating, well, 40 to 45 if you're eating three square meals. And then like I mentioned before, I do a low amylose diet. So basically I do 
in regards to any non-animal products. I do fruits and uh, honey, honey, I guess, but some and milk. Some say that's an, that's an animal product. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> um, optimizing optimizing circadian rhythm, so doing the best I can to help my mitochondria and what that looks like for me is and this was a really relatively recent change and this could be the improvement in my sleep too but trying to get more sun at the right times so doing what i can to be in sync with nature i'm really good at that just by working at the farm that's great so that's seeing sun you know watching the sunrise watching the sunset getting sun throughout the day where you can and protecting from blue lights at inappropriate times which would be at night and in the early hours of the morning if the sun has arisen B vitamin supplementation. So I actually kind of touched on this a little bit with my neuropathy, and that's what initially got me into B vitamins. And animal products are phenomenal sources of B vitamins, but some people have deficiencies that would not be diagnosed as a deficiency, but could be causing symptoms. And so um, thiamine in particular is rapidly depleted in the presence of biotoxins. And my friend Kathleen, she's recon, I'll link her below on Instagram. I've done a terrible job of keeping up with her, but she's an incredible resource and a wealth of knowledge. And I attribute my somewhat, I mean, it's laughable knowledge in regards in in comparison to her on B vitamins to her because she kind of put that thought in my head. And that actually was a huge step for me because I was recognizing how much they get depleted in the presence of a toxic system. And so Elliot Overton has done a lot of work in regards to thiamine and its depletion in uh, mold toxicity in other states. And so I would definitely look into this. It doesn't mean, you know, go jump and take a ton of different B vitamins. You really need to test them one by one. And I would say the most relevant ones would be something like B1, B2, uh, B3, sometimes B5, B6. Uh, That's a lot of B vitamins. Well, I think another important point is like understanding that some of the microbes in our gut produce B vitamins. And so you touched on the beginning of how SERS patients literally just have leaky gut and leaky gut literally leads to dysbiosis because your colon is now an oxygen rich environment and our good microbes can't live in an oxygen rich environment. And so you have dysbiosis where you have more facultative pathogenic bacteria. And when we have an optimal microbiome, when we have our normal commensal bacteria, when it's balanced, those are actually producing B vitamins for us to some degree. And so I feel like that gets that amount gets drastically downregulated uh, when you have like a gut challenge. For sure. So supplementing B vitamins where appropriate or just making sure you prioritize nutrient-dense animal products in your diet. Uh, but some people, that won't be enough. And so thiamine has been helpful for me the most out of all of them. But it wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean, but so these are things that have made me like True. I'm, I'm doing really well. So True. I would say that it, it's been very effective. I just need to clean up the downstream effects. Methylene blue, um, it helps repair damaged tissue cells and mitochondria and allows them to restore to proper energy function. So in an inflammatory state, low oxygen, not a, you know poor circulation, you can understand where methylene blue might might come in to help. I have I can't say that I'm like yes, this helped me, but on a more of like a higher level, I can understand how it would help. And I have consistently taken it over the last few years. So I wanted to include it just in case it's helpful for you. Yeah. Magnesium spray. I say that because if your digestive system is messed up, um, 
you're not really going to do well with a magnesium supplement and magnesium spray is re relatively benign and it might just help, you know, put you at ease more, relax you and allow you to have less anxiety and stuff. So, and less muscle tension. Community and connection. So like I said, I met my fiance throughout this entire process and that was a huge step in the right direction for me because he took my mind off of a lot of these issues. I didn't know I had SIRS at the time when I met him. And so that wasn't really part of it, but I was still afraid. I was still afraid of the environment. I was still trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And that's a very toxic place to be. And so having his support, love, and having this like urge to form this relationship and this connection was very therapeutic. And he's still a very strong piece of my um, journey and like the reason that I'm still fighting and keep going. And that community expands to people like my sister here, Ash, um, her wealth of knowledge and support. It hasn't always been easy. Like sometimes we butt heads. Sometimes she's like, wait, like explain that to me. Or she's like, you know, the devil's advocate. And I feel like it's good to have somebody like that in your corner. But the good thing about Ash is that she's always, you know, she always is there to have those conversations and she will do her best to understand. And I think that that is the most important thing. The people in your life are not always going to understand. And so if you can find a support system that is there to let you talk and express yourself and to give you a hug, that's enough. Well, I would say that um, I apologize for anything, any way that I've reacted in the past. And I think it was a result of the state that I was in. Um, to say that starting a farm from scratch is an easy process is a laughable comment. And I'm not letting this be an excuse, but I think it just goes to show that like the state of stress that you're in in a moment of time will impact how you respond versus react to conversations, react to new information, whether or not you're responsive to new information, or if you are just completely restricted by dogma and you aren't even able to acknowledge that that's even a possibility. Um, and so I think that that's just kind of an example of that. I've, I've gone in and out of some very stressful states these last few years. Um, so I, I apologize for any sort of bickering that I may have caused um, I, in our relationship. I understand. And the way I see it a lot too is like you've really wanted to move the farm forward. And so having to go back and be like, oh, we have to deal with this again is like, oh, shoot, like another roadblock. So I get it. I'm just always team farm. Like when in doubt, I'm team farm. And so I let that get into the, in between us sometimes. And I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, the next would be letting emotions out. So letting yourself cry, express yourself. Don't hold those things in. Being outside more has to do a lot with the sun and just being in nature is very therapeutic. So get out of the toxic environment. If you have to stay and live there, just go outside more. Um, and that would include grounding. Asking for help, so you don't have to do this alone. And this is again, you. I felt like I felt and feel like a huge burden on my family, but um, you most likely can't do this by yourself. And so, advocate for yourself and ask for help and ex and do your best to explain it all. Coffee enemas. That's you know I love throwing that one in there. But I, I yes, we stick things up the butt. <laughs> I think coffee enemas um, for me have been helpful because they really helped. Uh, <clears throat> like revitalize my liver in a sense that wasn't functioning basically at all when this all first started. And so it's kind of helped clear out things. I don't think it's clearing out everything clearly. Like there's good indication that it's not, but it has been helpful for my body that apparently doesn't uh, uh, um, 
like notice these biotoxins and properly excrete them on its own. So I, I, I like coffee enemas. They've been effective for me. Saunas is just another thing. Um, air filters in all rooms. I love air filters. I think that's the easiest way if you're still in exposure to just start cleaning up your environment. And neural retraining. So I went through dynamic neural retraining system to basically rewire my brain and shift thoughts that were once negative to positive. I don't think this was like, you know, the absolute most helpful thing for me because I think a lot of it is psychological too, but it did help get me out of a really bad place in 2021 um, to start shifting my brain and have a more positive outlook. And so I do think people who have been dealing with the chronic illness for a very long time can become hopeless and they can develop these thoughts in their brain that this is their life, this is them, this symptom is associated with them. You have to break those. And I almost think that should be like one of the first steps too is retraining your brain and realizing that you can and will heal. I think that your experiences day to day also help rewire thinking and like the type of experiences and things that you do throughout the day impact your thoughts. And so I think being very um, aware of how you're spending your time and what, if that's moving stressful thoughts down one path or moving in the right direction. I think that that's an important piece of it too, because yes, you can go through these retraining um, seminars and videos and things like that, but gosh, your brain is rewiring constantly. And so if you don't change your day-to-day thoughts and hobbies and actions, then you can just expect to get back to where you were potentially. I definitely agree. And uh, neural retraining has been extremely effective for multiple chemical sensitivity. So it's not going to, in my own experience, it didn't fix, it didn't perfectly fix everything. And that's because there's actually things going on in the body. And so what it really shines on is like disassociating with symptoms. So that is the bulk of the talk today. Now I wanted to give you guys some really valuable resources. Survivingmold.com is the home of SIRS. It's where all of Dr. Ruchi Shoemaker's research and stuff is housed. That is where you can find a certified shoemaker practitioner that you can work with. And now there's probably not going to be one in your local area. So you can find one that works with clients via online. Virtual. Virtual. I, I think that is like a very important step in all of this is to find somebody that can help walk you through this. And yes, this does come at a cost. Love work is a cost. Going through, um, you know, a functional or Western medicine doctor is a cost. So if you can try to submit it to insurance, you might get it through. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing that's the case, but how much is your life worth is the question to ask. Can you put something else on hold? Can you sell something? Can you do whatever it takes to allow your body to fully heal? And another resource that I have found recently very valuable is Judy at Nutrition with Judy. So Nutrition with Judy, Judy, has really wrapped her head around SIRS and she's helped a lot of people go through the treatment in terms of walking them, like holding their hand through it. Like you still have to work with a practitioner, but she has such a great understanding of SIRS. She has many test offerings on her website, which are basically like a less expensive version of, you don't have to get all the tests done, but you can get these tests done, right? Get this panel done and she can help you do that. So you buy that kit and then she'll be able to read and interpret that test for you. So 
if you're like, I don't have a doctor, I don't even know where to start with blood work, I would start with nutrition with Judy. Go get one of the blood works from there, and then you'll be you'll get a better grasp. Um, in parallel to the VCS, we'll definitely start with something as cost efficient as the VCS and the symptom clusters. Um, I would start there. So there's also lots of good podcast sensors, and Nutrition with Judy has some great ones. So what's next for us is like we already said, we got to clean the house. Um, we got to put some protocols in place for keeping the house clean. I'm going to continue on with my treatment. I will let you guys know how it's going. I'm sure there will be a lot of things to talk about as we go forward. Um, I did want to address the questions that we got on Instagram. I know this is a really long podcast at this point, but just briefly, I'm going to go over some of them. I think some of them were addressed in the podcast already, but is there a blood test for this? Yes, we went over that. Um, I have SIRS and a lot of the pro-metabolic foods made me feel way worse. How do you feel? So I haven't had a perfect experience with all foods either. And I think that it comes with increased food sensitivities, but this person might have been reacting to a lot of the amylose that's recommended in pro-metabolic. And that would be like the potatoes or the rice or the sourdough bread, or maybe even they just really can't handle a strong source of fructose like orange juice. And so I would, I would Can I say something? Hold on. I would maybe okay. cut those more dense things out and focus on your animal products. If you can tolerate any dairy, do that. And then, you know, if you can tolerate small amounts of honey or fresh fruits, that would, if you needed the carbs, that would be what I would do instead. I think that like the word pro-metabolic, it's so like basically it's whatever food that works for you to raise your body temperature and feel good. Yeah. There's no, there's no pro-metabolic foods. Yeah. Um, what is the impact of a single mold exposure? It can be life changing. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a chronic exposure. For me, it was I was sick in a month. So, you guys have to pay attention to this. This is something to really think about. If you, especially if you're moving somewhere, I would say it's like first. most important in your living environments or places that you work or spending a lot of time in. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you are like you can't like if you walk through a building that has mold, you're not going to die. Yeah. You're not going to die, period. But you know what I'm saying. Um, what treatments, natural or not? So yeah, the treatments are not entirely natural. So it is requires some prescriptions here. And what I think to, that that's an important thing to touch on because like, it, like it's okay. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like some people feel like guilty or bad about doing these quote non-natural, but like it's okay. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm not, I don't feel guilty or bad. What to do if you can't leave your moldy environment and you have it? That's hard. I'm still living in the environment that I got sick in. Again, we've done remediation, but still not perfect. I would say try your best if you can start treatment and obviously try to clean up your environment if you can. Get those air filters. Get on a regular cleaning schedule. Do your best to maintain your own hygiene and spend a lot of time outside. Was the treatment protocol really restrictive? I We kind of went over that. It's not honestly a low MLS diet. And no gluten is not restrictive. How long to take a binder? Worried about mineral status. Um, it varies. It could be six months. It could be two months. It could be a year. I wouldn't really worry about mineral status as much as getting the biotoxins out of your body because you will have a better time regulating your mineral status when you bring all your cortisol back in range when you get these biotoxins out when you lower the inflammation. I think that's an important thing. We, we can't micro-manipulate minerals our body does that naturally. And so we have to produce the internal environment to set our body up for success to do that on its own. Definitely. Is it always full on with all the symptoms or can some people only be affected a little? Oh, definitely can only be affected a little. I'm a very good example. 
but at the start of my journey of mold toxicity, I was dealing with a lot. So it, it's going to be very person dependent. Have you used methylene blue at all? Yes. Talked about a little bit. How do you know for sure you had SIRS versus mold toxicity? The test and the VCS test and just the test. How did you get diagnosed? Um, I initially went to the doctor uh, to get a 10 pass blood test. So, or not the blood test, 10 pass treatment where I like got my blood transfused through me 10 different times. Apparently very therapeutic for getting rid of viruses. You guys, I've done everything. This was for to try to tackle the neuropathy. Yes, this was in 2021. And he did blood work and I came back with all the stress markers. But again, I didn't take it seriously at the time. Is unexplained weight gain that seems inflammatory a symptom? Yes. What can help? Low amylose diets, exercise, being outside, reducing stress, eating an appropriate amount for you right now, and working on your metabolism however possible. I know it's really hard when you're dealing with this. Don't expect a miracle. Well, it could be like one of the reasons why your metabolism, yeah. like you can't reach that last 10%. Definitely. So I think a healthy body will lose fat more effortlessly. So finding your health should be paramount. Best resources for learning and healing, survivingmold.com. And my personal opinion, Nutrition with Judy has been great. Um, and you guys, I know, so Nutrition with Judy is uh, more involved in like the carnivore community. So I, but she's kind of left that dogmatic view too. Like the diet isn't always going to heal everything. And so if you're like, oh, but I'm not carnivore, but I want to get these blood tests done. You definitely still can. It's not like she's going to say you have to eat carnivore. Um, <sighs> Actinomycetes how to understand their role in it. So basically my understanding is that it's very inflammatory to have these bacteria on your body. They are, they are interacting, they are interacting with you on here and your skin and then their compounds and stuff are going inside your body and causing inflammation. I don't know exactly. Actinomyces are easily one of the most confusing things. There's literally no information online about it. Um, all I know is that it's a bacteria, it's inflammatory and you have to get it in, under control. I think it's just like our environments are just dysbiotic. There's just imbalances kind of everywhere. Like we're never going to get rid of Atenomycetes, but there's a reason why it's like an overgrowth in some areas. Definitely. Do you have sensitivity to oxalates with SIRS? Uh, no. No. I I mean, I no. <laughs> no. I, I think calcium is a really important thing to bring up here. I have a, I eat a lot of calcium and I think that can very much mitigate problems with oxalates, but I'm not going to say that that's not your truth and reality, that that's how your body is responding. So, I mean, if that for you looks like eating a, a low oxalate diet, it makes sense. I don't eat a high oxalate diet. Yeah. We aren't here pounding raw spinach and almonds. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for anybody. Um, how do you know if you've had mold exposure, especially if you live in an apartment, I would go ahead and just do a hurts me or ERMI test, which is a swab test or a swiper test and you buy that online and then you send it back to a lab and then it shoots back a result to you within a week and it'll kind of describe a little bit what's going on. And then if you're confused and you want help, I would work with somebody who's knowledgeable in this field. Oh, how has your diet changed since treating SIRS? My diet has changed a lot over the last few years. I, you know, I didn't know about the amylose thing until like probably a few months ago. I, but I was avoiding them intuitively because I wasn't doing super well with starches. So I was just doing more fruits and stuff. So honestly, I'd say like my macros have changed more. 
I've bounced around between higher carb and lower, not low carb, but like moderate to low carb and like higher fats. And I, right now, because of the burden on my liver, we talked a little bit with Danny about this in our last podcast. I do better with a little bit of a higher fat diet because it provides more steady energy for my body as opposed to having to continuously rely on my liver to process the glucose. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. Like your liver is, has 500 functions. One of it, one of which is to like regulate blood sugar and I imagine that for a SERS patient, the liver is on overdrive chaos uh, with toxins. Oh, absolutely. And so this, the eating a more moderate, maybe slightly higher fat approach can help ease the burden on the liver. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I have SERS. I react even worse to binders. Where do I go from here? Uh, I would, if you tried the if you haven't tried the well call, I've heard that that is a lot easier to tolerate, but I would say then, uh, gosh, maybe get outside more, more reduce your exposure however possible. Do your best to strengthen your body right now. If you can be in nature, eat a really good diet, air filter next to your bed, next to your bed. Can you do a coffee enema? Can you kickstart some of that stuff out? Like I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about that. It's helped me a lot though. So that's why I always bring it up. Um, don't, don't get discouraged. And if you're not, work with a practitioner because maybe they'll have some advice for you. Are the symptoms the same as chronic fatigue syndrome? So chronic fatigue syndrome is apparently one of the most misdiagnosed SIRS. So I'm not saying you have SIRS, but it would be very similar symptoms. Yes. Where to start testing if you highly suspect this is part of your issues? I think we went over that. Maybe yeah. How to go through treatment without fear as fear makes it worse. I hope this conversation was helpful for you. We've laughed a little bit. We've joked around. Um, I I have been extremely afraid before. Like over the last few years, there were periods of time where I that fear overcame like who I was as a person. My biggest piece of advice, work with someone, like a, work with a practitioner to who will deal with everything and then focus on accomplishing something in your life. And I know that that's hard when you're really tired and fatigued, but gosh, picking up a hobby, like I've, I've been saying this a lot and I think it's just like, it's calling to me to do this, picking up a hobby of like knitting and sewing a skill that you don't have and focusing on your improvements there. I feel like that can lead, that can bring happiness and hope Um, for us, like starting this farm to me, is something that like I derive great joy from and it distracts you from all the weird dogma and the nutrition space. And so I think just doing something, working with a protect practitioner who can help you kind of just like take care of things and then do something fun and new where you're, de- you're, you are able to see your skill development because I feel like that in itself gives you hope. So like go take a guitar lesson or sing or learn how to draw or knit or so, like I said. Yeah. This is something I need to work on. Like I've been fully engulfed. And this is part of what Ashley and I do is we work with people and we help them with their health issues and we research. And while that allows me to fully understand things, I also- Come to the downside. Yeah. I'm engulfed in it every single day. It's overwhelming. And it's I'd say it's relatively toxic to have to continuously look into this kind of stuff. And so I would say that it should be very peaceful for you to know and understand that People who have been bed bound, who have literally almost died, have recovered from this. And so 
it's something that you're not dealing with alone. And I think that there is actually a lot of hope that a diagnosis that you have should provide you with. And I mean, just the sheer amount of DMs that we got of people like, oh my gosh, I have this too. What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. Like know that you are not going through this alone and that you will heal. You, you do need to go through the protocol, I'd say. And hopefully some of the suggestions I provided in this episode will be helpful for you. So I have mold toxicity and I'm out of the environment. Would it be different as a senior, 67 years old? It's not different for any age group. Um, SIRS is SIRS, you treat SIRS. And even if you moved out of the environment, it's probably because you have SIRS if you're still sick. And so somebody else said that, what if moving out of the environment of mold years ago didn't resolve symptoms? Is it not the mold? Well, it, it might not be the mold for you, but it doesn't mean one, that you didn't move into mold. It doesn't mean two, that your body detoxed the mold. Or if it was actinomycetes or endotoxin, it might just be that, that your system is still circulating those toxins. And so I definitely think it would be recommend, it would be beneficial to investigate SIRS for you. Can a parasite cleanse help? I've done tons of parasite cleanses over this period of time. And like, I definitely think that that's helpful if that's something you suspect, like you have clear indication that's what you're dealing with. I wouldn't obsess over it though, because sometimes parasites serve a purpose in us too, to protect us. And then on the flip side, it's not your main There's issue. a reason why there's parasites. The parasites yeah. aren't the problem. There's a reason why they're there. Yeah. Like full transparency, I have passed parasites. I definitely- Who hasn't passed like, a parasite? There's parasites in me, but don't get wrapped up in that. I'd say recognize like there's a greater enemy here and that's the biotoxins and you got to get those out of you. So that was it for the Q&A. Um, I am super excited for this episode. I really want to make sure we're ending it on a positive note. Like this is a very scary, like as you said, there's a lot of scary big words. Boogeyman. Yes. But ultimately it's a very, like, I don't even know. The, I don't have the correct word. It's like, it's almost it, this, my diagnosis, I cried for weeks. Okay. I was scared. I was like, oh my God, I'm not, I have to deal with this. Oh my God. Sarah just kept being like, I could die. I could die. I mean, I, I could die. So part of me was like trying to explain to my family, like, this is a very serious thing. I cannot leave this untreated. I have to get out of the environment. I, I think the grieving part is part of the process. You kind of got to go through that, but then you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and take action. So take action. If this is something that you are, you know, really like a strong feeling this could be something for you and remember 25 percent of the population is susceptible has that gene so i wouldn't put it past you if you tried everything you're dealing with chronic illness and you cannot get better <laughs> all right well with that until next time guys stay rooted and resilient